Hi, and welcome back to the Itchy Podcast. My name is Lindsay, and I'm the Managing Editor for Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology, or Itchy. Itchy is the official journal for the Society for Healthcare Epidemiology of America. In each episode of the Itchy Podcast, we hear from authors of articles recently published in the journal. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Colleen Kraft about her article, Thorough Survey on Healthcare Personnel Caring for Patients with Ebola Virus Disease and Lassa Virus in the United States. Before we begin, listeners should note that this article is available for journal CME. Go to learningce.shea-online.org and browse the course catalog for journal CME 2020 to quickly and easily earn your credits. All journal CME is free for Shea members. And with that, let's get started. Dr. Kraft, thank you for joining us today. To begin, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes, my name is Colleen Kraft. I'm an infectious disease physician and clinical microbiologist at Emory University Hospital. Um, My title here that I recently acquired was I'm now the uh, Associate Chief Medical Officer of Emory Hospital. Great. Well, thank you. To begin, can you tell us a little bit of the background for this study and also what you did? Yes. So as an infectious disease leader in our Ebola unit back in 2014, we were really highly concerned with the safety of our healthcare workers. And I will tell you that that has become a passion of mine since that time, where throughout all of these outbreaks and now in the midst of a COVID pandemic, uh, that we're really just trying to make sure that our healthcare workers are safe. One of our ideas was because there's not community transmission of Ebola virus like there is COVID, and I will say that this pandemic is giving me um, more opportunity to speak about this article and also to, it's much easier to explain because people are very focused on antibody testing these days. But we really wanted an objective measure to see how well our healthcare workers were protected. We know that none of our healthcare workers were sick with Ebola or Lassa fever. And for that, we're extremely grateful. We worked very hard for that to be the outcome. Uh, in our Ebola unit. So one of the things that we decided to do was to do a sero survey to look for Ebola and Lassa antibodies in the healthcare workers that had taken care of patients in this unit. And can you tell us a little bit about your findings from this study? Yes, so we were able to enroll 42 people and some of these were actually individuals that had never worked in our Ebola or Lassa unit. So we sort of used those as negative controls, but they were on our sort of teams being trained. They were recruited to our teams after we had had these patients. Then we also had individuals that we knew had been vaccinated against Ebola virus disease in our unit. And then we also had people that we did not know what their antibody status might be. So we enrolled all of them under informed consent. We asked them about their risk, and we also were able to pull their occupational injury management records from when they had done daily symptom monitoring uh, to look for symptoms of the disease while they were taking care of these patients. What we found is out of 42 of those individuals, seven of them had antibodies uh, in the region where the vaccine works. So we know that they were vaccinated. So they sort of served as our positive control but anyone else that had not received the vaccination and had worked in our Ebola or Lassa unit, none of them had antibodies against Ebola or Lassa, and we believe were never had any type of exposure to those two viruses. And so what were some of the logistical challenges of healthcare personnel monitoring? And also what proportion of temperature measurements and symptom monitoring reports were missing from healthcare personnel in the serious communicable diseases unit, regardless of study participation? 
Right, so that's a great question. Uh, so we were extremely strict with our temperature monitoring in, during this time. Uh, if you can remember the panic uh, back in 2014, which seems very distant compared to what we're going through today with COVID, we actually had a delegation of authority from our public health entity that we ourselves in the Emory Healthcare System would monitor our own employees. So in monitoring our own employees, we took that extremely seriously. And if you missed one temperature monitoring, you were called, usually within the 12 hours that you should have registered your temperature or your symptoms. I should also back up and say that we did symptom monitoring and temperature monitoring via sort of a red cap or like a Google Docs type system. And so you, you did it electronically, usually from your phone, and you were given a thermometer uh, at the beginning of your time on the unit uh, so that you had no excuse but to take your temperature twice a day. If you miss more than one temperature reading or symptom monitoring intake, you were called by an executive leader of our healthcare system. And if you were not going to be compliant with monitoring that your temperature or your symptoms twice a day, then you would not be on the team any longer. So we didn't have a whole lot of gaps in our information because we were really strict and we took it very seriously about monitoring our healthcare workers during this time. Did any of the study participants who reported symptoms that could have been concerning for viral hemorrhagic fever undergo testing at the time of symptom onset? And if so, how are those individuals counseled? That's also a great question. So it's been a long time since I've thought about our management of our employees during that time. But what happened was if you had symptoms consistent with a viral hemorrhagic fever, which was pretty unusual for, for most of us, uh, although fever, headache, diarrhea, those are the types of things that start in the beginning. All of those individuals were immediately seen by our occupational injury management group uh, or our employee health, and they were evaluated. And so the testing that occurred in those individuals was never for Ebola because we would watch them for a day or two and it would usually be something that was self-limited. We also had, you know, they might be tested for flu, they might be tested for pregnancy, then it might have been tested for gastroenteritis. And so those are the types of testing that we did, but none of our healthcare workers had symptoms that were concerning enough or long enough to ever be tested for Ebola or Lassa. And how can this study assist strategies to ensure the safety of healthcare personnel responding to the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, so this is a little bit more complicated these days, and I think we're all much aware of this since we're, we're heavily inoculated with large amounts of information about COVID-19 every day. We do worry about community transmission uh, very much, and so the antibody testing can help us to understand that we were exposed to the virus, but it doesn't help us narrow down that we were exposed at work, for instance, or where we were exposed. And so while it's a useful test to know that you may have immunity or have been exposed to the virus, it may not actually tell you where you got it. So how might serologic testing for SARS-CoV-2 be deployed among healthcare personnel who are currently on the front lines of the pandemic? We're going to use serologic testing in a couple ways, and I will really want to say that we are at May 6, 2020, and I want to say that things may change after this podcast. Since Fair we're enough. sometimes looking at every 72 hours, things changing at least weekly or monthly. When mm -hmm. I think back to March 6th, which is our two-month anniversary of our first case here at Emory Hospital, that seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, when I look back through the 2,000 emails that are in my inbox that I still have to deal with, you know, 
there's a lot of things that we were worried about even a month ago that we don't worry about any longer because of the way the pandemic has progressed. Mm -hmm. However, the way that we're using serologic testing is the same similar way that we used it in a sense back for Ebola and Lhasa. We want to have some sort of reassurance to our healthcare workers that they are not being exposed at work. So what we're seeing here in our preliminary data here at Emory, having tested 3,000 employees already for SARS-CoV antibody, is that they're not getting it at a higher rate than the community. And in some ways, the, the individuals that are staffing our COVID floors are actually have a lower seroprevalence. This shouldn't surprise you because when you have a known issue, you're very motivated to not to protect yourself. So what Emory actually implemented yesterday was that we're going to be testing all of our patients that are admitted to the hospital uh, for uh, COVID-19 uh, to be able to make sure that every single patient has a determination of whether or not they have the disease so that every healthcare worker can actually protect themselves the way they need to, given that there are asymptomatic cases. Uh, serologic testing is also going to be used eventually for ideas about how to return to work, potentially how to assign individuals to floors. That's going to be very difficult and nearly impossible, but we will understand more and more about herd immunity as more and more individuals become seropositive. It's been a very interesting dichotomy of us really working hard to keep our healthcare workers safe and not be exposed, but then healthcare workers being somehow disappointed when their antibodies are negative because they sort of want them to be positive so that they can have sort of feel like they have a level, level of protection in their work. Mm -hmm. um, so again, it's just this funny back and forth where we really don't want you to be positive because we feel like we've been doing everything we possibly can to protect you at work. But then they, you know, everybody wants to be positive because then that means right, right. they maybe got it and they weren't sick from it. And then they're, they've kind of passed through that. So they're kind of safe now. Yeah. But it's kind of, it's a funny, funny balance we're dealing with right now. Yeah. So Dr. Kraft, my last question is whether this research has um, served as the impetus for any future research that you and your team are currently working on. Yes, as somebody that was not very facile in antibody testing or serologic testing, it was a great start to what we sort of have been building now here at Emory uh, Healthcare and Emory University. We actually have developed our own serologic assay from, uh, in collaboration with the Emory Vaccine Center and the Emory Medical Laboratory that we can offer a very sensitive and specific serologic antibody to our healthcare workers. We're very proud of this and um, we're really interested to see what a serologic test that was developed during a pandemic can really tell us about immunity and about protection in our healthcare workers and our patients. I think the other really fascinating thing that I'm involved in is the thought of giving convalescent plasma, which is always occurs when we have a new pandemic to basically utilize those survivors to give what we think may be life-saving or life-helping uh, plasma from them to people that are currently suffering with severe disease from COVID-19. I think one of the things that we're looking at is trying to characterize the immune system and see what a good immune system or a good antibody response or a good neutralizing antibody response will have to do with people that have positive antibodies. So I'm actually hopeful that we could actually find a good use for convalescent plasma because we've really characterized what makes a good donor. Uh, that's never been done in the past when we gave convalescent plasma for our Ebola virus disease infected patients. You know, we didn't really have any idea of that 
that we like, was this useful? Was it a helpful therapy or did it really matter? And so I think it's really important that we also try to do sort of a scientific basis for, for how we think about therapeutics related to plasma and other blood products from survivors. So that's sort of where we're taking the next step. Well, that sounds very exciting. And I think we'll, we'll look forward to hearing what comes from those studies. Well, thank you, Dr. Kraft, for joining us today on the Itchy Podcast. It was my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. This concludes today's episode of the Itchy Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and thanks for listening.